what this meant. Like, what was his prognosis? Like, what are our options? What are we looking at? Like, I went from counting his fingers and toes and loving him and nursing him to now he's critically ill, essentially on his own personal form of life support down the hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I am so excited for Emily Ames to share her incredible story of her sweet little boy, Henry. It is one that is unforgettable. I am so grateful for her willingness to share, and you are going to learn so much about motherhood, finding hope, and finding joy. Hello, and welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast. I am so excited to have one of my dear friends, Emily, here with us today to share her son's incredible story. So I'm going to start and let Emily introduce herself so you can all get to know her a little. Hi, everybody. My name is Emily. Um, Kara and I have known each other for, oh, how long? 15 years. Oh, my goodness. We are old. Um, but yeah, we met in college and we were college roommates. Um, I now live in Los Angeles, California with my husband and our four kids. Um, before being a mom, I taught first grade for a few years. And, um, since having our oldest, I've been lucky enough to be at home with them. So that's us. Yeah. I love it. Yes. It's been a few years since we've seen you, but we got to see each other when we were visiting California one time. I'm excited for you to be here. So Emily's youngest um, has a pretty incredible story and one that touched me because her youngest is her fourth. And if you've been listening to my podcast, I share my son's story and he is also my fourth. And um, I still remember when Henry was born and ended up with everything that happened. I'm going to let Emily share that, but uh, it touched me and um, just made my heart ache and made me send so many prayers your way because although our circumstances were very different, they were so similar at the same time. So just one of those uh, opportunities that were given from our trials to have empathy and love for other people. Absolutely. So, all right, so I'm going to turn the time over to Emily to tell you about her sweet little boy. Mm, thank you. Um, so like Kara mentioned, our fourth is a little boy named Henry, and um, he is so fun. And I guess I should preface this with he is fine now. <laughs> so <laughs> um, as the story gets hairy, it all turns out well in the end. But I had a normal pregnancy with him, nothing different I mean, you know, maybe, you know, every pregnancy is a little different, but nothing alarming. Um, we did, you know, all the normal checkups and ultrasounds and everything. And, um, and he was great and he was checking out great. And he was born at a healthy, healthy weight. He was, sorry. Um, he was about eight and a half, just under eight and a half pounds. So he was, he was a good sized baby. So that's how big Jack was. Really? That's amazing. They are the same. Um, so everything they handed him to us and he was just calm. Um, they actually were worried cause he was so calm. They were like kind of 
whacking him and he just like grunted because he you could tell he was like super bugged almost he had this look on his face like leave me alone <laughs> um the but he was just such a good baby he's nursed so well from the beginning all these things are just were signs that it was he was just good you know and we were so grateful um the nurses pointed out and we noticed that his hands and his feet were more purple but they assured us that that was super normal in newborns and very common. And it hadn't that been the case with any of other kids, but we thought, it's common. All right, we won't worry about it. And and so we were just were enjoying him. And he was born just before 5 p.m. Um, in the evening, so like an early evening baby. And the next morning around 8, our pediatrician came and was doing his... Um, I guess, well, check. Yeah, his first Mm -hmm. checkup. And the doctor mentioned that he heard a heart murmur. And um, our third, our daughter Eve, had had a heart murmur when she was born, and it was just innocence. It was, you know, we had learned through that that, you know, often newborns are born. It's just a small hole in the heart that closes. No big deal. deal. So when this same doctor who had found Eve's found Henry's, he just... um, he was like, you know, don't worry, it's totally common, but I am going to run a few tests. And so I just took him at his word, and I was like, all right. Like, Eve was fine, and we had no history of any, um, you know, congenital health issues in our family. And and so we just, you know, welcomed the nurses and technicians in as they were running multiple tests on Henry. And we honestly, I look back now, and I feel so ridiculous that we weren't alarmed you know they're they're testing his oxygen saturation they're do, taking ultras, ultrasounds of his heart but um I honestly thought he was fine anyways um later on the pediatrician told me that he could tell it was not an innocent murmur but he didn't want to alarm us because he didn't know what what they were looking at so um anyways I guess I just jumped ahead of myself but um I can't even remember the time of everything. Like, his first appointment where they found the murmur was probably 8 in the morning. And then around 11.30, um, Brian had gone to get... Brian, my husband, had left to go pick up some lunch. And our other three kids were on their way to the hospital with my mom to meet the baby. And um, they were so excited. Brian and I had decided on a name beforehand, but we hadn't told them. So they were going to come meet the baby and find out his name. And it was just going to be... So great. They were all wonderful ages. Picture perfect. Yeah. And they were these, up until, I felt like with all of our other babies, they were just young enough that they didn't really care that much. You know, it was just like mom was having a baby. But um, when Henry was born, our oldest was six or seven, I want to say, and then we had two girls. And so everyone was just like, the girls couldn't wait to have a baby. And my oldest son was like excited to have a brother. So everyone was just like pumped to come meet baby brother. So, um, anyways, Brian had left to go get lunch and my mom was on her way to the hospital with the kids. And I, so I was in the hospital room alone with Henry and I had just finished nursing him and I was just playing with him and talking to him and just loving him. And all of a sudden a group of nurses burst into the room and said, we need your baby. We need your baby right now. We need to get your baby to the NICU. Your baby is very sick. And I was just like, What? Like, what are you talking about? And um, one of them said, your pediatrician's on the phone. I'm going to get the phone for you and connect him. Um, but we we need your baby. 
And so I'm holding him and they, I have to like hand him over and I have no idea what's going on. And I'm all alone. Brian's not there. And, um, they hand me the phone and I was just in shock. Like I didn't even know, like I wasn't even crying yet because it was like, what's happening? You know, and they put him in the little, is an isolate and they rolled him, you know, to the NICU. And the pediatrician came on the phone and he told us that the test had revealed that, um, Henry had a congenital heart defect. Um, and at the time they were calling it a coarctation of his aorta, which would mean, um, you, you know, your aorta is like a main artery, like the major artery. And they thought it was it, the artery, the aorta comes up out of your heart. Um, your heart's in a sac. And that's where like the four chambers of your heart are inside that sac. Like, well, that, yeah, that portion of your heart's inside that sac. Sorry, that's like misleading. Your aorta comes up in an arch called your aortic arch. And from the test, they thought that arch was pinched. And so they said it has a narrowing in it that will limit the, the blood flow of the oxygenated blood to the rest of his body. When, you know, the, the pediatrician hurried over to the hospital to, to tell us what they had found and explain things. And, uh, you know, Henry had been in the NICU for a while. Brian had gotten back. He, he told them what was going on, and they came up so that we could still have lunch with them and try and keep that normalcy. It was, I was really grateful to have that because I needed some normalcy, you know, and... Do you remember what you told them? Like, did you just tell them that he was sick or anything? Yeah, so we, they came in, and they said, where's baby brother? And we said, oh, his name is Henry, and they all went, oh, and, <laughs> um, and we said, we're so sorry. Henry just had to go to a doctor appointment. They said, we just missed him, and we're so sorry, and he is going to be so sad that he missed you, but don't worry, you are going to see him soon. Um, they're like, oh, okay, and we had Wendy's, and they, so they had Frosties, and they were fine, <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and then, like, I go into the corner with my mom, and I'm just, like, silently sobbing into her shoulders, and I just remember saying, I don't want him to have heart disease. I, we, I, he can't have a heart disease. I don't want him to have a heart disease, and um, I don't even remember why I said that, why I was saying those things, but I was just like, I, I didn't know anything about any yeah. of this. It was like so new to me. And, and I didn't know what this meant. Like, what was his prognosis? Mm-hmm. Like, what are our options? What are we looking yeah. at? Like I went from counting his fingers and toes and loving him and nursing him to now he's critically ill, essentially on his own personal form of life support down the hall. Yeah. And so <clears throat> my mom took the kids after that and, um, side note, it actually turned out to be a huge blessing that they came to take Henry before my family, my kids got there because Charlie, my oldest came down with like 102 fever, like two hours later. What? So if he Holy had, cow. if they had come like, and my mom and the kids got there about 10 minutes after all this hit the fan. So if they had just, if they had left 15 minutes earlier, if they had gotten there yeah. 15 minutes earlier, I mean, that could have been fatal to Henry, Miracles, you know, right? so total miracle. So at the time it just felt like this, like knife had been stabbed into my heart and it was just being twisted back and forth yeah. that my kids had just well, missed him. And, and can you imagine you your know? kids being in there when the nurse comes in and is like, I have to whisk your baby away. Like I know. how traumatic for them. It would have been so traumatic. And I think it probably made it easier for them to process like, the, everything that we went through with Henry, having not 
yet held him mm-hmm. or built that strong emotional like physical connection to like having held him and loved yeah. him and kissed him and um I think he was still you know baby brother how he'd been yeah. in my in my stomach and right. mommy's belly not really um, a reality yet yes there wasn't that like physical reality yet for them so I think like you said that like what a huge mercy that was um Anyways, so the pediatrician came over after that, after my mom and the kids had left and sat down with us and was telling us, you know, what they, from what they could tell what the diagnosis was. And I remember asking him, so is there medicine for that? What can we take? Like, do they have it at Rite Aid? Like, what do we need to do? <laughs> what prescription can you get? I know. Can it's like, well, okay, what do we take? And he just looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry, but he's going to have to have open heart surgery. And I crumbled. I crumbled on that bed. Um, and I had, you know, my husband on one side, my OB was on the other with her arm around me. And I just sobbed like face and hands. And I, yeah, I, I didn't understand. I think I understood the gravity of it. But I also think I didn't yeah. fully at the time because I just didn't have the experience and the knowledge um, that we were about to get fire hosed with. So um, anyways, we were able to go down to the NICU shortly after and see him. We scrubbed up and went in and it was just so surreal to see this baby that we had just was just totally fine. And now he, you know, we thought he had a lot of wires then he had like an IV and a, yeah. you know, a couple, yeah. they were, had an EKG going mm-hmm. and, um, Brian hadn't seen him at all since before he'd left for lunch, you know, last right. time Brian saw him, he was fine. And so it was really, that really was hard. And, um, seeing him that first time and kind of realizing like we, okay, like we had a healthy baby and now we have a sick baby. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of when the mourning period began for me. Um, mourning the fact that I thought I'd had a healthy baby and, and now we're in this new reality and not that it's a bad reality to be in, yeah. but it was just different than what I was ex- anticipating. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I'm in a new place and I don't know, I've never been here. I don't know how to navigate um, so I think that that first time seeing him in the NICU was the first, when that really initially began for us, he was, and then after that couple hours later, um, the ambulance came to transfer him. Uh, they couldn't do the surgery, um, at the small local hospital we were at. <clears throat> um, so they were going to transfer him to children's hospital of Los Angeles by ambulance. And, um, we had to sign the first of so many forms at that point, which I know you're familiar with, yeah. with Jack, where it's, it's like, like, I just kept signing my child's life away. And I was like, I don't know totally. what any of this means. Okay. I know. I know. You I was know, like, what am I signing? They give you and basic like, knowledge, but yeah, they're like, you're saying that you understand that he might not survive. Right. And they're like, what? And yeah. I was like, can we take him to the, like, is there any other option here? Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you're always looking for that extra option, always looking for some easier way out um and that was like one of the first times that we learned that with this you just had to go through it you couldn't go around it you couldn't get out of it you just had to you had to go through it um so anyways we followed him in 
that, well, we, I wanted to ride with him in the ambulance and they said I couldn't because I was so postpartum and it hadn't even been like 18 hours since I'd given birth. Who cares? I was like, who cares? Like, let me, I'm not going to leave my baby, but they insisted that I couldn't. And so I, I was like, okay, I looked at my husband. I said, Brian, you're going to ride with them and I will drive. And my OB was like, whoa, you just had a baby. (laughs) I don't want you. It's my fourth. I'm fine. I'm like, it's okay. I'll be fine. Like I was just, it was this desperate need. Like, and I was like, why aren't they letting me do this? Like, do they not understand that this is not something that I'm asking permission for? Like I need to do this. But, um, luckily everyone around me was sensible. And, um, so I didn't, neither of us rode with the ambulance. We left and we, we followed behind. Um, so, and I think that, that Henry must've gotten to ride with the sirens because he got there much faster than we did because <laughs> LA traffic is what everyone hears LA traffic is. So, um, anyways, we got to children's and, um, got up there and it was just so, I just remember being like feeling so lost and so confused. Like, I, I mean, lost it in multiple senses of the word. Like, I'd never been to this hospital before. I didn't know where I was going and lost. Like, I didn't know what in the world was going on and what were we looking at. And anyways, little, I didn't realize how much that hospital was going to become our home and, and what a sacred space I was stepping into. But we sat down with the surgeon that night and <clears throat> he explained again, you know, what the the heart defect was and, um, that, and I guess backtracking congenital is just a fancy word for born with it. So it was just a heart defect he was born with is a congenital heart defect, which is different from a congenital heart disease. So we are very grateful that he had a defect that was, could be repaired. Yeah. Um, so he sat down and actually the first thing the surgeon said to me He said to us, he looked straight at me and he said, mom, you need to know that this is not your fault. Nothing you did when you were pregnant, nothing you did before you knew you were pregnant could contribute, like could cause this. He's like, this is what we call the sporadic event and you aren't, you can't blame yourself. It's his trial. Yeah. Yeah. But it was funny because up until that point I was like, uh, I wasn't considering blaming myself, but now that you mention it, like, (laughs) thanks man. But I was really grateful he mentioned that because, I mean, clearly these doctors and surgeons know the process or are familiar with the process that parents are going to go through. And eventually I did get to that point where I had to wonder, did I do something to cause this? So he, he, you know, comforted us first and then he explained um, what Henry's defect looked like and he explained even just the, their, their mortality rate associated with the, uh, the surgery that was going to be performed. And, you know, he talked about the credentials of everyone on the floor and how everyone had gone. He's like, average, everyone that will even look at your baby on this floor has been to 19 years of school post high school. He's like, you don't need to worry that, you know, someone might not know what they're doing or is a newbie. And so, and it's like, that's good to hear. You want to know that like the best of the best are, are working yeah. on your baby. So, um, they told us this was on a Wednesday and they weren't sure how quickly he'd get into surgery, but his, um, CHD or his, 
congenital heart defect is considered a critical congenital heart defect or a CCHD because it cannot be lived with. So a lot of times there are different defects that they could, the baby is you know, will need heart surgery, but they like to wait until the baby's, you know, until they have to have it. Like sometimes it's three Mm -hmm. months, sometimes it's six months. Um, and so they wait for the baby to be as strong as possible before operating. But Henry's life could not, he, he wouldn't have been able to live. And so they had to do it as soon as possible. So they gave him one day to rest. They said his body needs to recover from the stress of being born before we can open him up. And I was like, do you hear what you're saying like that sounds insane like he was just born his body is still recovering from birth but it was just it was where we were now and and we couldn't there was no going back there was only going forward right so um he was two and a half days old when they did open heart surgery and um it was a really it was a really hard time. It was really hard. Um, you know, you consider just postpartum hormones are a beast on their own. And then throwing all this in, I know, unlike this, yes, you do. Even, even little things like the lactation consultant coming and showing me how to work a pump. And I was like, I don't want to use a pump. I want to feed my baby. And she was like, I understand that. But that is not your option now. Like, that, that's not your reality. Yes, yes. So grateful for this hospital we were at because every patient got a private room. Yeah, congenital heart defects are, it's 1 in 100 wow. are the numbers. That 1 in 100 babies um, born will be affected by a CHD. And that is, it, it's like the highest, it's the most common birth defect mm. that there is. Um, and it claims so many lives. I, I, I read something the time. I'm not going to try and quote it, but it claims an alarming number of lives. And the crazy thing is, um, Henry would have been one of them unless if it had not been for that, our pediatrician had heard this heart murmur and multiple doctors and nurses at the hospital he was born at had listened to him and listened to his heart and no one had picked up on it. And this pediatrician heard it. And, uh, you know, obviously did what ordered the tests and whatnot. But when we got to children's, so everyone assumed that we'd known in utero. And I said, no, we just found out like yesterday or we found out two days ago or, yeah. you know, and they asked how we found it. And when we told them it was our pediatrician, they were shocked. And all the cardiologists were like, we cannot believe that just a, a mainstream pediatrician found, like noticed this heart murmur. Um, and everyone like repeatedly said that man saved your baby's life that man you know because we would have taken him home we were trying to get home that night and you know once um yeah once his heart it's it's interesting the way his I guess like the way it would have affected him um when you're in utero all babies in utero there's a duct that delivers all the oxygenated blood to the baby's body because the baby's not breathing air on its own. So it's the mother's providing the oxygenated blood. And then once the baby hits air, starts breathing, that duct starts to close, and that's when the aortic arch would take over, delivering the oxygenated blood. So once that duct and Henry started to close, that's when the pediatrician 
you know, heard this heart murmur that things weren't flowing correctly. Um, but had that duct closed all the way, like he, you know, either would have been a blue baby that we were able to rush to the ER or, you know, maybe would have been considered SIDS, um, which are just terrifying things to consider when I realize, when you think that like, this is a totally fixable thing. Yeah. So, um, but sorry, I kind of got off a crazy tangent. You're okay. So he had his heart surgery, um, when he was two days old, two and a half days old, I guess when he, um, and everything went really well. And how long was surgery? Surgery was about four and a half hours. He was on the heart and lung machine, on the bypass machine for a little over an hour, about 74 minutes, they said. Um, and everything, the, the surgeon came back and told us, you know, it, after obviously everything was done, <laughs> that things had, done, had gone really well. And, you know, kind of like they'd done all they can do, but not in a, not in a morbid way, but just like, now it's up to Henry. We're going to see how he responds. Yeah. So, um, which when we were talking earlier, it's just these new babies, you don't know how they're going to respond because you don't know them because they're Mm -hmm. so new. No one knows what they're going to do, but he responded really well to the surgery. And, um, you know, when they're that little, they actually don't close their chest cavity right away. So when they brought him back to the room and they had told us beforehand, they said, you know, expect more wires than babies and um let us know if you wanted us to cover like put a little sheet over his chest and yeah I was just like whatever I I want to see my baby like don't cover anything like he is mine no matter what I want to see him and um so we went back in and we we're like well they were right like there are more cords and wires than babies yeah. than baby um I remember his right foot though that was the one extremity he had that was not Covered. connected to something or taped yeah. or didn't have an IV. And so I was like, Brian, take a picture of this foot. It is unmarked <laughs> for so, a minute, <laughs> for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny, like just speaking of like the marks and the scars, that was something that I was surprised. I mourned. I took so many pictures of his chest before surgery, like the morning of surgery before they took him back. Mm-hmm. And so many pictures of him because we didn't know if he was going to come out of surgery. And I also, I, it's like such a silly thing, but I was mourning his unscarred body because I knew yeah. he was going to come back and, and be so scarred. And, so I, um, yeah. when Jack was going into his surgery, I asked the nurses to save his hair because they were going to have to cut it. And he was born with tons of hair. Really? And I was so sad. So I like, it's a little different, but I totally get that like. But I'm you're supposed like, to do that. Right, you're like, <laughs> you know, like, no, our first, first haircut. First, first haircut's not when you're 10 days old. And they don't happen in an By OR. a surgeon. Yeah. That's but not... they did, they totally put it in, like, one of those little jars <sighs> and gave it to us. But, I mean, they had to shave the back of his head yeah. and a spot on the top. Unbelievable. So, but, yeah, yeah, like, I feel like that's totally normal to I... be like, but, you know, because it's, it's different than what you anticipated. Yeah, yeah. I think there's just so many stages. I know there are obviously so many stages of grief but I think there are different stages of of the mourning that leads into that grief as well yeah um and I mourned a a lot of of those small 
losses as I considered them then. You know, I was I mourned that he would have a scarred chest now and he wouldn't be unscarred. I mourned the loss of a normal newborn baby experience. I I even mourned, you know, what might seem silly to people, but you know, the the classic picture of mom on the hospital bed with the new baby and all the siblings yeah. around, you know, like a family of six now. We didn't have that. We yeah. you know, we still we don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um and that was hard for a long time. The but, first um, thing we did when we got home from the hospital, I was like, get a family picture right now. I know. Because it was so scary that, like, we didn't have one. And yeah. I was like, what if we lose him and we don't have a family picture, you know? Yes. It was like one of those reality moments where you're like, but wait, it, I don't even have a family picture with the baby. Everything is brought into the sharpest perspective with yeah. such aggression. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a fierce perspective shift. We, you know, took pictures of his little foot and just sang to him and were there, um, we're just there with him all the time. And, um, he was heavily sedated, obviously, and, um, his limbs were tethered so that, you know, if he had a muscle spasm or something, he wouldn't like whack himself in the heart because his, Mm -hmm. his chest cavity was still open. It was covered, um, with a sterile... Um, mm-hmm. I, the only thing I can, can compare it to is like that sticky like gauze. It wasn't gauze though. It, it actually was, um, you know, that saran wrap that's like sticky on one side. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. like that, but that's sterile. Is, huh? Yeah. And so you could yeah, kind of see inside. We, it was really crazy. Yeah. I mean, we never, were never up close, but we mm-hmm. would walk by him every time we left the PICU. There was mm-hmm. just a line. Yeah. There's probably like four or five babies in a row. Oh my goodness. They had all yeah. had them. It's just, but they all had that same. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll put gauze over it if, if you know, um, mm-hmm. if they're older, they can close the chest cavity right away, like in surgery. That. So they probably were closed, yeah. ch- like their chest had been closed in the OR. So because... A, well, some of them were still tiny. Oh, were they? So maybe... But they, I mean, it could have been like Jack where they weren't, they were home for a little bit. Maybe so. But they were still pretty little, a lot of them. Oh, my heart. It's just so sad. Um... So the reason they leave a baby's like a newborn's chest cavity open is because the there's so much pressure on your heart when it's inside the chest cavity because there's it at, at, like your ribs are just keeping everything in there, mm-hmm. um, and his heart like after being worked on just like anything his heart was swollen the tissue was swollen and they wanted to give his heart a chance to recover and let the swelling go down before they put the added pressure on it of being closed into a tight space. So he had his surgery on the 16th, and they closed his chest on the 19th, and that's when they declared his surgery over. So he was, I guess, technically, medically speaking, considered his surgery was not complete yet. So he was in, I guess I told you it was four hours. Maybe it was like three days and four hours. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But uh, they were able to do that. Um, they, you know, sedated him again, general aesthetic, but they did that in the room. So we, when they closed his chest, so we left. Um, but that was a a quick procedure, I think around an hour, less than an hour. And then after, so that was three days later and probably the day, two days after they closed his chest. And then after the chest strain came out, they were able to slowly wean him off of oxygen. And once he was breathing room oxygen, and handling it well and his oxygen sats were strong they took him off the vent and I got to hold him for the first time I remember writing down that today is the first day in seven days that the tears 
I cried were tears of joy. You know, there were definitely moments every day where we just wept when the gravity yeah. of everything hit us and we were like, okay, we're here and we're doing this. Um, and sometimes we could forge forward and, and other times we, we had to, we had to sit and feel before yeah. we could move forward anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a wonderful day that I got to hold him again. And at that point on, I was like, can I hold him? Can I hold him? Can I hold him now? Can I still hold him? No, no, no. Why are you taking him away? I need to hold him. You know? I was like, <laughs> Where's he going? There, is, there is no way you are taking this baby away from me ever again. It's like you just had heart surgery. What are you doing? <laughs> I know. I have a serious attachment issue with our child and it's probably going to cause me issues down the road. So, or him issues, probably both of us. It's going to be awesome. Oh. So anyways, he, uh, but as, once he was off of all those things and his heart was doing well, um, he just was making great progress. And so they were able to move him from the cardiothoracic ICU to their step down unit, which was their, um, acute unit. And that was a much more hands-off from the nurses, more hands-on with the parents, um, unit. And so we were really excited about that. I was terrified because I was like, we are less than a week out of open heart surgery mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to take care of you. We went, we went home eight days after Jack's surgery. I was like, That's... uh, he just had brain surgery. What do I do with him? Right. You're like, what do I do? Why yeah. are you, I, I wanted to be like, why are you trusting me? What have I done to give you reason right? to trust me? Really, like, though. and I mean, obviously like I loved him and I was doing anything I could for him, but I just, I was like, what if he needs a medical intervention? We know. And I had to, they're like, we're not like sending not you incompetent home. down there. Yeah. We are going to be watching him, you know. So, but it was, it was good. You know, it was a great sign that he was progressing so well. Um, but things kind of, things, I shouldn't say kind of, they really slowed once we hit the acute unit. Um, but none heart related. His heart continued to be beautifully strong. Um, but we found signs of an intestinal issue that is very common in heart babies. Um, because when the heart is sick and blood flow is limited or less than sufficient, um, the brain knows to reroute the blood to the most vital organs. And the gut is one of the first places that stops receiving that good blood. And so it's the one of the first places it takes a hit. And so because of that, in some cases, um, uh, a condition called necrotizing entericolitis, or NEC, yes, <laughs> NEC, or NEC is what they call it. Um, and that is, it's just a very devastating intestinal disease that um, can be very fatal. Um, you know, it's, and not in all cases, but it's very dangerous and, um, very scary. And so as soon as he started showing signs of this, they ordered a 72, 72 hour, um, essentially a fast for him just by mouth. So we, at that point we'd been trying to give him, um, you know, start him back on the yeah. milk that I'd been pumping through a feeding tube. Right. Um, and they, you know, they said, we've got to, you got to stop that. Like we can't send anything to his stomach. We've got to give his gut a complete rest, which meant that he was going, they weren't going to starve him. He needed to still receive those fats and sugars and salts right. through IV. Right. Um, 
So, but because of just the nature of the sugars and the salts and the lipids that they would need to give him, a peripheral IV, um, or just like an IV in your arm, wasn't going to do it. Like the, 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 the stuff they were having to give him would have just been a mess if they tried to do it through an, an arm IV. So they had to place a central line. So because of the nature of the lipids and the you know saline and the sucrose they were going to be giving him, it would have ruined and just been a mess with an IV in his arm or hand or leg. So they had to place a central line. And he'd had a central line for heart surgery, but central lines tend to go bad after a week. Yeah. And so just to pre- prevent infection, they had to remove that one. And they're like, we'll just place a pick line. It's no big deal. It's like getting an IV. And I was <sighs> like, all right. So anyways, I will spare you the, the nightmare of that first pick line, but it was, we learned quickly, it was not like getting an IV. And we were, we found ourselves in the sedation lab, signing his life away again to these doctors who were like not even on the cardiac floor and he's less than a week out of open heart surgery. And, um, he, he had an immediate reaction to one of the sedatives and it appeared he started seizing in my arm. Like he, I was holding him and he started seizing. It looked like he was just convulsing and they're like, has he done this before? And we're like, no, like, what did you give him? And, um, we were just freaking out and, um, they were able to still do the procedure, but um, they said it would be 30 minutes. It took an hour, and they just had us waiting in you know, this waiting room, and the last image we had was I'd had to lay him on the operating table, and he was convulsing. And um, it was just, for my husband Brian, that night was worse than the open-heart surgery because there was so much unknown, and it was like, blindsided us like yeah like a Mack truck out of nowhere like it was just we did not anticipate this um being an even an event we just yeah. thought like he was gonna get a new blind placed in his bed in the acute unit yeah anyway so all of this put us in contact with neurology now because we were concerned that something had triggered that was causing seizures and um everything like what a blessing everything checked out it wasn't seizures they they told us it was most likely a benign condition that he would outgrow, which he has. Um, two days after receiving that pick line, which had caused so much pain for all all involved, his leg swelled up huge, mm-hmm. huge. I got there in the morning, and it looked like a turkey leg. I mean, his skin looked like it was going to rip. But he developed a blood clot to that pick line, and um, they had to remove the pick line and place another one in the other leg. Um, that one went kind of better um but because of the so it was like I said his heart was doing well but his recovery just stalled because of all these other little things that happened like um his reaction to the sedative put us in contact with neurology and so we're working with neurology now and then because he developed a blood clot we had we're now working with hematology and so now he was on a blood thinner um, to break up the blood clot. And then when he went in to get the second pick line, um, he bled everywhere and they, they could not get it. Yeah. And they had even, I mean, they obviously are so competent and had told us like, you know, we'll wait, we're going to take him off his blood thinners and we'll wait, you know, four to five hours is usually what it takes. And because of a couple of things that happened that day, it ended up being eight hours 
without blood thinners before they placed the line. And so they thought like, surely, you know, there'll be no issues. Mm-hmm. This is that second line. Anyways, it was a mess. They, they took the, a team of like three nurses, like about 20 minutes to get his bleeding under control. It was just, oh, yeah. he. Did he have a blood transfusion? So he did. Too? He actually ended up having two blood transfusions after that. Um, yeah. And Jack had yeah, one of those. It's so scary. Just because, and Elliot, it was scary at first because in my mind it was like blood transfusion. That's like a mega, mega thing. Like, what are you talking about? Um, They ended up having to do two blood transfusions on Henry because they had to draw so much blood to test his levels um, with the blood thinners Mm -hmm. and every, like all these new things he was on that his blood count was getting low just from the draws. So he needed more blood. Because they kept drawing his, like, and they, and not because, Poor thing. Like, because they had to, you know, not just, it wasn't just right. like haphazard, yeah, they're like, we're just going to practice. So it was just crazy, but everything, you know, his tremors, his seizing slowed, um, his, you know, his heart was doing well, we were still working with hematology, but at this point, his... So all of those pick lines happened within those 72 hours, those three days that he couldn't eat. Like, it was just a heavy, very heavy, difficult three days. And by the time they got that second one in, the second line in, it was like the third day, and he developed a clot to that second pick line while he was on blood thinners. It was just crazy. We were learning so much about our baby, and we learned that he is very sensitive. He's very sensitive to medications, and his blood is very good at clotting against foreign objects. So, um, anyways, but they so they removed that one to avoid um, a large clot like the one that had formed in his first leg. And at that point, they just said, "We're close enough to the seventy-two hours being up. We're not going to give him." another we're not Mm -hmm. going to do any more lines we're just going to let him wait the last few hours and you know be done with the gut rest so anyways from then on it was pretty smooth sailing and um we were able to bring him home about three and a half weeks after he was born like pretty much all of january into february i'm an emotional wreck because of all these days that um that mark very intense um, and emotionally driven anniversaries. Yeah. But, um, now we're here three years later and he's still going to the cardiologist every six months and he'll, he'll go the rest of his life. Will um, he have to go every his, six months or will it ever change to a year? It will eventually become a year. At first we were going every month Yeah. and then it became every other month and mm-hmm. slowly they've weaned him as, um, they said they say that six months post-op, your heart is as repaired or as healed as it will ever be. Sorry, as healed as it will ever be. At at that six-month post-op time is when they started spreading out the appointments, and um, his repair is holding well. They do ultrasounds of his heart every time we go in and um, check his heart function through multiple tests, and everything is holding really strong. So it's really ironic to me that we went in to get his heart fixed and his heart was done being fixed like a week in, but it was all these other little things that popped up and all these little roadblocks that kept us there. But it was such a crucible 
of a time, you know, crucible for learning. The growth that we experienced as a family at that time and that I experienced as a mom and even just as an individual. I mean, you know, you know me, I am not like the most confrontational human you'll ever meet. <laughs> and I wouldn't call myself someone that has like the strongest backbone. I'm not a pushover, but I'm not one to like get in someone's face. But I have learned to advocate for my children. Um, you know, I used to, I think I just, you know, you're hesitant because I'm not, I'm not a doctor. So right. who am I to question? But I was really grateful that the doctors and nurses we worked with, they, they taught me mm-hmm. that I needed to advocate. And they're like, you can question us. You can this, you can that. And, and they gave me that um, permission and that power to, to become the advocate for my children. And so, um, you know, that was something totally unconnected to Henry. That was just like individual growth for me, you know, one example of it, but, um, yeah, it was definitely a turning point for our family that, you know, changed us and changed my perspective, my husband's perspective, um, on everything. And, um, it's one of those things that I pray we never forget the change, you know, you pray that you never go back to who you were before. Yeah. Um, because it's weird to even imagine before, like to imagine Emily before Henry, you know, it's like, I had, I was just like living in a bubble. Yeah. And I, I feel like I still am kind of, I mean, we had a fairy tale ending and I had a beautiful, healthy, wild three-year-old boy mm-hmm. on my hands and people who find out his story and look at him are like, what? what? Are yep. you kidding me? He, I mean, yeah. he's like, he's so big. He's like the size of a four-year-old, you know, he's as tall as my kindergartner's <laughs> peers, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's really amazing to to see how resilient the human body is and to see how resilient he is. And I think he has helped all of us to become resilient. So I feel like it was one of those traumatic things that you would not wish on anyone, but I would not trade it for anything because of what it did for us as a family and what Mm -hmm. it did for me as a mother. Um, and as, as a person. So I love that. Yeah. So what would you, what advice or thoughts would you give to other moms that might be going through or struggling with something like really big and unexpected? Oh, you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right. This stinks so bad. Um, you know, I think that, I think, that often we feel like to be strong, we have to say it's okay, but sometimes it's not okay. And it's good to acknowledge that. And it's healthy. It's healthy to feel your feelings Mm -hmm. and, um, to know that however you're processing it, you're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, um, the, the journey of processing an emotional trauma is going to look so different for other people. And I think it's, you know, I would say be kind to yourself and don't allow yourself to compare you and your journey to other people Mm -hmm. and, and, and let yourself mourn and grieve and process in your way, in your time and know that that is, 
that is the right way for you. Um, I read something a couple months ago, this on the Instagram post. Um, I guess I should give credit, right? (laughs) Do I say who it was? If you know whose it is, you Yeah. So um, I was reading on an Instagram account by Natalie Norton, and she mentioned as she was going through trauma with her son that um, she was grateful to know that this was a tunnel, not a cave. And I was like, what? What? And I had to stop and figure that out, but I thought, it is so true. Like, our trials and our difficulties they are not caves. Like they're not meant to be caves. There is a way out. And, and like with Henry, I was like, what are the other options? Like even like minutes before they took him back for open heart surgery and we're signing these papers and the doctor is telling us like all the very obvious risks involved. (laughs) And I like knew them, but hearing her confirm them and I, I looked her square in the eye and I was like, is there another option? Like, what are my, what are our options? Is there any other option? And she looked at me and she was like, no, there is not. Your baby is sick. This is the only way to save his life. And, um, you know, in that moment, she like pushed me into that tunnel, you know, and there was no, I couldn't turn around. Um, I guess I kind of already been in that tunnel, but she guided me (laughs) to the light, I should say. Um, knowing that there is going to be light at the end and, and it might be eight days and you're home with your baby from brain surgery. It might be three and a half weeks, you know, um, filled with bumps and things that you trip on that you aren't anticipating. Um, it could be months, it could be years, Years. but no trial need be a cave, um, that traps you. Um, because I, I guess to all those moms, like you were saying, I would say, um, you are going to grow and become someone brand new and you will be so grateful for the things that you become that you will be, you will be very honored to have been able to go through that tunnel, um, Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity to grow. So it's not going to be easy, but just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Keep going. Stop to feel when you need to stop and feel. Um, But just push forward and you can do it. I promise. I promise you can do it. Through everything that you guys went through, how were you able to see the joy through all of this? Like how... I mean, obviously you had those moments where it wasn't joyful and it was stressful and hard and heartbreaking, but how did you find them? I would say that I learned to find joy in the small moments. Um, When Henry was still heavily sedated, um, the day after surgery, uh, I, you know, went to his bed first thing in the morning and I, I said, good morning, sweetheart, or something along those lines. And he turned his head and he looked at me. And I just fell apart crying, just tears of relief and joy, um, knowing that my baby knew me and, and seeing his strength and his will to acknowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the drive, um, 
that he was able to turn his head. I mean, his chest is still open at this, that time. And, I'm, you know, it was just amazing to see his strength. And the love that I felt from him brought me so much joy. Um, when he would squeeze my finger, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, that was that happened later that same day. He was still sedated, but I was holding his little hand, and he just had his fingers wrapped around my thumb, and he squeezed it. Aww. And it was just such a beautiful moment. So I think it was in though it was just in the small victories, everything else in life, just all of the, the frivol, the frivolous details of life that it's so easy to get caught up in. And, um, you know, everything dropped out and we were left with bare bones. What is really important like life, yeah. life is really important and preserving this life and saving this life if we can. And so all those little moments where, um, where we were able to see him make a, make progress, gaining strength, um, or like those moments where he recognized us or, mm-hmm. you know, those moments of love, um, were just brought so much profound joy. And I think that really helped uh, begin the process of healing for me in, um, in realizing that I didn't have to mourn um, like the loss of a newborn babyhood. Like, yes, his is going to look different, but it will be no less beautiful and there will be no less love. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we just, we learned to look for those small moments and, um, you know, it it started to become, it, my husband and I joke now that, like, we spent more quality time together, everything with Henry, than we ever have gotten to. <laughs> yeah. Um, since, you know, having kids, because we were at the hospital day and night with him. Um, and it was, so it was like a little mini vacation once we were, <laughs> once we were out of the woods, I should specify. Yeah. Once we were out of the woods. Um, it was just a, it was a treat to be able to hold my newborn baby and love him all the live long day. So I think, yeah, it was just everything else dropped out and, and we were able to focus on what really mattered and we found the deepest joy in those moments. How did your kids do during all this? Your other three? They fared very well. <laughs> um, my mom has always come down when a newborn baby, when a new baby's born, and this time was no different. She just canceled her return flight, um, not knowing how long she would need to be there. And so they just got like a three-week vacation with grandma at home. That's and, awesome. Um, but it was really beautiful to see how everyone um, in our congregation at church and um, even in our little school community as people found out and as as we let people know um, how they rallied around our family and just lifted us in ways that we were just shocked we were just shocked at the outpouring of love Um, packages were coming from friends for the kids and you know, so it was like Christmas every day for the, the three big kids because they were like, we're getting so many presents. And, um, but it was just, it was just amazing to see this village that we knew we had, but we'd never had to rely on yeah. so heavily 
to see them rally around us and lift us, Mm -hmm. to lift us, you know, with meals. Um, Friends would call my mom and say, you know, can we come pick the kids up today and give you a break? Can we invite, have your kids over to play? Um, Can we bring you a meal? Can we, you know, um, it was, it actually was a really beautiful experience for my mom as well. Um, to be on the receiving end of so much selfless service. So um, I think between my mom being there and that being a fun treat for the kids and all the love that they they received from those around them, they seemed to do pretty well. Um, Brian and I, um, at first, were coming home um, every night the doctors just told us, you know, you'll go crazy if you sleep here with all the beeping, like you won't get any sleep. Yeah. So they, they encouraged us to sleep at home. So we'd come home every night. Um, and then eventually when things started to get really bumpy with Henry following the, the, you know, tummy scare and yeah. everything that followed, Brian started sleeping at the hospital and I would spend my days there. So we, at that point we were tag teaming, um, where I would, I would sleep at home and have breakfast with the kids, and then I'd go to the hospital, um, and Brian would go to work and come home and have dinner with the kids and then come to the hospital, and he and I would switch in the evenings. You know, we'd yeah. see each other for a little bit, and then he'd stay and I'd go home. Um, so we were, you know, we were trying to keep, we were trying to make sure that the kids saw each of us mm-hmm. once a day. Um, and, you know, they handled it really well. They, we, we called them the unsung heroes (laughs) because they just were troopers. And I, you know, I just think, um, so much of their strength came from the love of those around them. Um, that because of the packages or the play dates or the special visitors or whatever it was, they were able to find joy and happiness in what would have been a scary time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing what the love of those around you can do. Yeah. Like there is such power, such power in that. And I am an absolute witness to that. You know, we were carried through on the love and prayers of those around us. Yep. Cause I can tell you that I, on my own, am not strong enough to, mm-hmm. to have, you know, gone through that tunnel yeah. by myself. Um, but just the, the love and the thoughtfulness, um, really is what carried our family through. And I think helped our kids do so well with it, which still amazes me to this day that they were like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, okay. <laughs> I think it helps when they're little though, because they just it's, don't totally understand the it's so spectrum true. of how big everything really is mm-hmm. yeah they didn't know until like a year or so after the risk that that we had had the reality of you it. know the reality of the risk yeah they mm-hmm. just thought he had to go get his heart fixed but they didn't know what it entailed and of course like we've never gone into explicit detail with them because we don't want to freak them out but but um, yeah you're right age plays a big part in it yeah. yes someday Someday when they're fighting with Henry and beating him up, I'll be like, Don't Come sit down. <laughs> Let me tell you about this kid. Um, no, just so kidding. What do you feel like is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned that will always stay with you? Ooh, that's a hard question. 
Um, you didn't preface me with that one. <laughs> Sorry. Are you ad-libbing? No. Um, oh, the biggest lesson I've learned that will always stay with me. I, I feel like I have a much, I feel like I am much more sensitive now than I was. Um, and I guess sensitive in terms of like other people's emotional experiences. Um, I feel like having been through, um, having been through that emotional trauma, um, I, I just find so much joy and satisfaction in helping others do the same and not like in a life coach way. Cause I'm not qualified to mm-hmm. do that kind of thing, but just in like, you're doing great. You are brave and you are strong and you yeah. are doing this and you are doing it right. Um, you know, because you're doing it right. and, and I find so much joy in being able to help bear those burdens. Um, and I don't, I mean, maybe that's giving myself too much credit, but you know, I hope that I can use my experience to help lighten other people's loads. Um, even if just by being a shoulder to cry on six months later when they didn't think they'd still need a shoulder to cry on or, you know, being there when they cry and knowing not to let, not to let go of that hug, Mm -hmm. just keep hugging them until they let go. You know, just, I guess maybe empathy with that. Yeah. Is that like in the long and short of it, I guess it's just, I feel like I gained so much empathy, which is such a beautiful gift that I am so grateful for. Cause I feel like that changed me to my core. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're all, all taught and raised to, you know, be kind and to love and which we should, Yeah, you know, um, but, and I, and I know a lot of people have a natural gift for empathy and I don't know if I ever thought I did. I don't know if I ever really considered it, Right. but, um, it's been brought to light. It has totally been brought to light and I love it and I'm grateful for that depth, um, that I received. Mm -hmm. So I love that. It's perfect. I feel a lot the same way though. Like just so many people served us and helped us and it's nothing I can ever fully express to them. Like even now when we come to those anniversaries, a lot of times, um, like the, I don't even know the word, just some of my feelings are just so wrapped up in specific people and how they helped my family. It just makes you want to listen to those thoughts and that inspiration more. Yeah. Because you never know if you have, you know, if you could be that. Yeah. That miracle for somebody mm-hmm. or help help aid them in yeah. getting them through. I feel like I'm um, more willing to serve more often. It's true. And I think it... And, and seeing, like, the level at which people served us and sacrificed, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it definitely inspires you and changes you in a way that it's like, I don't care if it's inconvenient to serve. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that they didn't have, matter. like, this magical opening in their schedule that they were able to come help the Ames family. Right. Like, no, they did it out of love and concern mm-hmm. and a, 
and um, I've you know talking to people since they just said it was they needed to do something. Yeah. They needed to do something, and all they could think of to do was to put together a care package. Yeah. Or or to bring a meal and mm-hmm. um, our our ward jokes that Henry is their baby. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> He kind that's of is. Fine. You guys kind of prayed and fasted him here. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, you know, he it he just really yeah, it's it's just amazing to think about all those people who gave so much. Yeah. Um and it's it's really humbling to be able to have been a part of an experience like that. Totally agree. Um, one of it's interesting, I found out just a couple months ago. A friend told me that, um, she said, I remember finding out about Henry and I prayed and she's like, and I don't ever pray. Um, and she's like, but I prayed for Henry and my husband, one of his clients emailed him during all of when everything was going on with Henry. So three years ago. And he said, Brian, I want you to know that I'm praying for your baby. Um, and he's atheist. I mean, he doesn't ever pray, but he's like, I am atheist, but I am praying so hard for your son. Yeah. And it was just, you know, it was beautiful to see how Henry's life touched so many and had this ripple effect that really brought people together. And, you know, maybe that's another lesson I learned, like the, the beauty in these trials and the beauty in these, um, traumatic events because of what the potential for growth that they give to anyone with Mm -hmm. any connection to them. If we'll just open up ourselves and, and, um, you know, and go there to, to be there with the people. So who need us? So true. Much Emily for joining us on our podcast today. I'm so grateful for your willingness to share some of the hardest moments as a mother, and I'm so grateful that you were able to uplift us and strengthen us and see that we can find good even in our hardest and darkest moments. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can subscribe through your iTunes app on your phone or through any other podcast app you might have. You can also check our website weekly for our new episodes and listen there. I hope that you have a wonderful day and I hope you always remember that you are enough. My heart exploded, you know, and I, I just feel like, um, I shouldn't say my heart exploded. <laughs> I don't, it exploded, you're right. Edit that out. I <laughs> know. Okay, uh, edit all of that. Um, I used to not talk so lightly of hearts. I took them very reverently. And I need to I need to get back to that, especially in this podcast. Oopsie. Um, okay, 